tell we're getting organized down here. I do want to say again, if you want to hear the ladies, if you're a female and you want to hear the ladies do their presentations, their speeches, their songs, and you can leave now and they'll be down, they're down in the annex and they will uh, more than welcome you down there. But we're going to get started here and we want to first thank you for being here. Thank you for um, being receptive to tonight and how we plan to glorify God through our songs and through uh, some Bible reading and through some speeches. And of course, these young men are, you know, they're preparing for last leaders, but this is bigger than just last leaders. This is about preparing to be servants. Um, and tonight they are going to serve you. They're going to serve you by glorifying God through these means that, that they have prepared for you. So we may have a little struggle with the order. Y'all just kind of bear with us. We're, we're going to do the best we can down here, aren't we, guys? And, uh, and uh, of course, I know y'all will open your hearts as we serve God here through Scripture, through song, and through speeches. So we'll start. We'll ask Gibson to come up here. He's going to lead us in a prayer, and then he's going to kick us off in a song, and then Jordan will send folks up here as, uh, as he has planned. Okay? Please bow. Dear God, dear God, thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for letting us come to church today. Also, Father, we want to ask that everyone does their best during these last leaders' activities. Father, please bless this service also as we go through it. And uh, thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for the remission of our sins. And in uh, Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'll be singing 344, low in the grave he lay, 344. I'll be singing the first and third verses. Low in the grave he lay, Jesus
I'll be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen are not made of things which do appear. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For <clears throat> before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Tonight I will be singing, This World Is Not My Home, 957, This World Is Not My Home, 957. I will be singing the first and third verses. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are about it now. I am lost, hopelessly lost. My parents are a part of a group that has traveled deep into the South American rainforest. Our camp is a hundred miles from safety of any city, but we are safe inside the camp. There is a strong fence around the camp. Wild animals can't get past the fence. Danger can't get inside the camp. My problem is simple. I'm not in the camp anymore. I am in the jungle. Not only am I in the jungle, I am lost in the jungle. I have so far, I have gone so far and gotten so turned around that I have no idea which way to go. I am hopelessly lost. 
Now my situation has gotten worse. Night has fallen and I have no flashlight. It is so dark. I can't see anything. I'm afraid to move. Why did I wander away from the camp and get lost? Suddenly my situation is worse than I could ever have imagined. I hear something moving into the darkness that surrounds me. Now I hear a low growling that is getting closer and closer as each second passes. I could be sitting around a bright campfire laughing and roasting marshmallows with my friends. I could be in the safety of my tent and in the comfort of my sleeping bag. I could be surrounded by my family. I could be safe, but I am not. You want to know why I'm lost in the dark, dangerous jungle? The answer is simple. I chose not to listen to the warnings of my parents about the dangers of leaving camp and wandering along in the jungle. I chose to ignore the rules and leave safety of the camp. Wait, the growling is right now, right next to my ear. I can feel the breath of a wild animal on my face. I can feel the claws touching my arm. Please, somebody help me. This story is made up, but pretend that it is real. What do you think happened to the boy in this story? He was hopelessly lost and did not survive. Imagine that you are the person in this story. How do you feel? How horrible would it be to find yourself hopelessly lost in a dark wild with an animal breathing on you and about to eat you? Now I want you to understand something very important. I'm not talking about being lost in the jungle. I'm talking about you and your eternal soul being lost forever without God. Please listen to carefully to Ephesians 2:12, 2, 2:12 and 13. Remember that you were at the time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Did you hear those words, having no hope and without God in the world? Do you know what this means? It, it's really very simple, but very, very scary. If you're not in Christ, then you are lost in the world. If you are not lost, and if you are lost in the world, you are complete in darkness. And you know what else? You have no hope because Satan is growling and getting closer and closer every day. Now listen to 1 John 1:7. But if we walk in the light, as He in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus. His Son cleanses us from all sin. Live your life so that you are safe in Jesus and not hopelessly lost in the dark jungle of the world. Let's see how you stand up here. You may need another one. Today I'm going to be talking about... Daniel and the lion's den. Daniel prayed for God and Jesus. The king's people were jealous that he had very good friendship with the king. So they sent the king into Ranawal. You have to bow down to the king. So they found Daniel bowing down to the God and Jesus. So they brought him to the king. The king was trying to thought of another punishment, but throwing the wine den was the only one. So they threw him in. Next morning, the king said, Have your God saved you? And he said, Yes, he brought the angels. I'll be singing 625.
Zion's call, 625 Zion's call. The first and the third stanzas. Zion's call sweetly rings over land and sea. Good evening. As I look around the room tonight, I believe a lot of you play or have played competitive sports at some point in your life, maybe basketball, football, or baseball, or perhaps tennis, golf, soccer, etc. If so, you know the commitment it takes. We sacrifice lots of time, energy, and effort to learn these sports. But why? What's the purpose? Sports can teach us valuable things like teamwork and a good work ethic. We learn to follow rules and develop lasting friendships. We learn both to win and to lose with grace and dignity. But on any certain night, any particular game, a true athlete will tell you there is one major goal, one major purpose. You know it. That ultimate goal is to be better than your opponent. That's what we train for. That's what we dream of, to be better than our competition. Entering high school this year, I've had the opportunity to learn lots of new things. One of these is the sport of archery. I must tell you, I'm hooked on it. Through archery, I've learned new skills, made new friends, and learned to challenge myself. I've even learned that sports like archery can teach us a lot about the Christian life. Archery, in fact, is perhaps the most talked about sport in, Bible, in the Bible. King Saul met his demise to an arrow, 1 Samuel chapter 31. Ishmael, Abraham's son, with Hagar, was an archer. Genesis 21, verse 20. Esau hunted with a bow and arrow. Genesis 27. Jonathan purposely shot arrows off target to send a message to David, who was in hiding. 1 Samuel chapter 20. In, in the world of archery, the ultimate goal is to hit the bullseye. In a match, you need to hit that bullseye 
30 times to score a perfect 300. If you fall short of that 300, you can always improve. You can do better. The other colored rings are good, but they still are not the center of your intentions. That bullseye center is relatively small and difficult to hit. Did you know the word sin in the Hebrew that is used in the Bible is derived from an archery term? It is the term for used for missing the target or missing the mark. Sin is when we miss the mark. In regards to doing the will of God, we can do things intentionally that we shouldn't do. And that can be a sin, or we can fail to do something we should do, and that can be a sin. Either way, we are missing the will of God. We are out of step with what God would have us do. We are failing to hit dead sinner. Romans 3.23 tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, we didn't even hit the target at all. Our arrows fell short of the intended goal, and that is our purpose, to hit the goal. Christ said in John 6:38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Christ said that had the same goal or purpose to hit the mark, dead center. So does anyone really care if we miss the mark? Who cares? If you were in your backyard shooting random arrows all around your neighborhood, your neighbor would care. I know I would if I lived near you. The truth is that sin, our sin, is offensive to God. Sin is the barrier that keeps us from having a good relationship with Him. It either keeps us from having a relationship with Him in the first place, or it severs our existing relationships with Him. Until we take the proper steps for that sin to be forgiven, it is a barrier, an unwanted wall of sin between God and us. Fair enough, you say, but how do I do that? How do I keep that wall of sin and separation from building up? Well, the answer is in the Bible. God doesn't just say, obey me, and move on. He gives us direct direction in his commands in the Bible. His law tells us how to hit the mark. If we are not using the word of God as a manual, we are not going to hit the mark and succeed in our goal. Can you imagine putting on a blindfold and trying to hit the bullseye? It, would be, it wouldn't be likely, would it? How comfortable would it be if multiple archers were standing in a circle, blindfolded, and trying to hit the target? It would be certain death. That is why... God gave the Bible to his church to help us not kill ourselves or each other, but to show us how to live according to his will. Obviously, it doesn't take too much time to realize we're a human, and as humans, we often fail. We miss the mark. We don't shoot that perfect 300. We need to be better. The truth is, we are not able to keep every law in the Bible all the time, at least not by relaying on our own strength. We need Jesus Christ. He's perfect every time. The book of Hebrews shows us in detail the greatness of Jesus. Of the greatness of Jesus. He's better than the angels. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Hebrews 1 4. He's better than Moses, for this one has been counted worthy of more glorious more glory than Moses. Hebrews 3 3. Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 4 14. His word is living and powerful and sharper than two, any two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12, Jesus has a better covenant. In Hebrews 8.7-13, he offers a better promise, a promise of eternal rest. Hebrews 4. How much more evidence do we need? Jesus is better than anyone or anything. He should be our center of focus. Heaven is our target. Practice doing what he says and your aim will get better and better. 
One day you will be able to shout bullseye with a smile on your face as Jesus, the master, Archer says, well done, thy good and faithful servant. When I was eight years old on a Saturday, we heard my mother let out a yell of horror, and my brothers and I came running. All she could do was stare at where her diamond on her wedding ring was missing and say, It's lost. I'll never find it. My brothers weren't too interested, and honestly, I wasn't at first either. But I listened to her tell about how my dad had saved enough money to buy a horse, but instead he spent it on the ring. I determined then and there that I would find it. I learned two valuable lessons that day. One was that mamas sure do a lot on Saturdays. I helped her retrace her steps, checking the beds, the kitchen, the furniture she dusted, and I even helped the tr check the trash. Finally, we were down to her last chore, putting away the laundry. As I pulled a pair of socks out of the drawer, I heard a tiny ting on the floor. And that's when I realized my second lesson. Never say never. On the floor, I found a tiny stone that didn't look like much, but my mother sure was excited when I found it. Often in the Bible, parables or stories that were told remind me of my diamond hunt. Really, when you think about it, being a Christian is a continual search for the lost. And once we realize this, we can fulfill God's commandments. In Luke 19.10, Jesus tells us, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. If this was Jesus' mission, and we are followers of Jesus, then, then this must be our mission as well. But how do sinners know they're lost? How do we find them, and what do we do when we find them? In London, there was a grocery store owner who banned, started banning customers from his store. He started banning those who smoked, and then those who cursed. This led to baby strollers and pets until finally no customers could enter the store. Instead, they would have to look through the window, ring a bell, and then tell the owner what they wanted. But why did the man do this? He said he was a man of principle, but he had really forgotten why he would gotten into business. Sometimes it seems that we Christians are too like this man and have forgotten our purpose. To begin, how do sinners know they're lost? We must tell them about God's word. Mark 16:15 tells us, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Too often we seem to be waiting for the lost to come to us, but notice that we have to come to the lost. Jesus got to know sinners and then taught them so they could see that they were lost. One example would be the Samaritan woman in John 4. She couldn't believe that Jesus, a Jew, talked to her, a Samaritan, since Jews and Samaritans didn't associate too well. But Jesus sought the lost no matter who they were. As a matter of fact, he was criticized for associating with the lost. Jesus called Zacchaeus a chief tax collector by name and stayed at his house, which made him realize that he too was lost. To teach the lost, we have to get close to them and let them know that we care for them and love them. 
Well, how exactly do we find the lost? Much like my mother when she lost her diamond, we must diligently search everywhere. In Luke 15, verses 8 through 10, Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin, where a woman lost one of her ten coins. She lit a lamp, swept the house, and searched carefully until she found it. She didn't just throw up her hands and say, Oh, I'll never find it, but at least I have the other nine coins. Instead, she decided not to give up on the coin. In Luke 15, 4 through 7, Jesus tells of a man who had 100 sheep, but lost one. The man quickly searched for the sheep until he found it, leaving the other 99. In each parable, they search until what is lost is found. Are we searching daily for those who were lost? And when we find them, do we really teach them about the gospel? To what extent do we help save the lost? Do we seek them out at work, at stores, jail, or even school? We find what we look for, so we must look out for the lost. What do we do when the lost return to God? Well, when I found my mother's diamond, we yelled, jumped around excitedly, and told everyone. In Luke 15, when the lost sheep in the coin were found, they called together their friends and their neighbors to celebrate and rejoice because what was lost was finally found. In both cases, they were happy and celebrated. Jesus goes on to say in Luke 15:10, Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We should be happy and welcoming when the lost returns, and we should not hold their sins against them. Luke 15 goes on to tell about a son who's an, who took his inheritance, wasted it, and ended up feeding the swine. In verse 17 it says, He realized his condition and returned to his father, who prepared a huge celebration. But his older brother was angry, which shows a great contrast from how we should react when the lost soul returns. We should all rejoice and show our love to the one who has returned to God. The lost are, are all around us on a daily basis. Yet, they can't, be found, they can't be found and become Christians unless they are diligently sought out, realize they are lost, and return to God with open arms. We as Christians must do something. If you find yourself lost one day, don't you want a Christian to care enough to help you out and look out for you? So let's be that Christian that seeks the lost. How many of you can guess what I have in my hand? It is a compass. A compass is an instrument used to determine direction. When, a place, when I place a compass in my hand, the small needle of the compass points towards the direction I am facing, north, south, east, or west. Right now, the compass says I'm facing, facing west. I'm, I know you really don't want one science lesson. But Earth is like a giant magnetic magnet that creates its own magnetic field. The red pointer in the compass always points north, because Earth's magnetic north pole. This is called tr true north. That's pretty cool, right? When we are trying to find our way through the journey, 
of life, God has given us the spiritual compass to guide our path. That guide is the God's holy word. Psalms chapter 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my pathway. The truth that we find in the Bible never changes. That, that north. No, wait. The truth that we find in the Bible never changes. It will always point us in the same direction. Jesus is our true north. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We must follow him to stay on the right path to heaven. If we walked out in the woods beside our house and got lost in the this compass would help us get back home. If I wandered off from God and get lost in sin, then I use the spiritual compass, God's word, the Bible. The Bible is the only thing we can trust to always point us in the right direction. It will always point true north, and so I can find my way to to my eternal home, heaven. Are you lost? Have you entered the wide gate and need to find your way home? Like God's word be compass in life. This will always point you in the right direction. Thank you. Hey Lawson. Lawson. Twenty twenty. Wow, what a year. Between coronavirus, social tension, natural disasters, and the election, even I, at age 15, couldn't escape the pressure and negativity that was associated with everything that's happened. And I don't know if this year is getting any better. In the U.S. alone, more than 3,000 people die per day to coronavirus. That's one person every 30 seconds to a virus we've known about for over a year now. It makes me ask a question that I hope you don't judge me too harshly for considering, but where is God? I know there is a God, but as I think about last year's convention theme of lost, it makes me wonder, where is he? And what is he doing? And I haven't even started addressing the more day-to-day -day things we deal with, like cancer. My best friend was diagnosed with bone cancer just last month and is in St. Jude taking treatments. Was God sleeping when cancer cells crept into his DNA? Or maybe he, was just, he just wasn't looking when a, bat, when a blood clot killed a 25-year-old friend of mine just this past year. Does he get so occupied with the hurricane on the coast that he completely forgets about the famine in Uganda? Could it be that he is just too busy to stop the divorce that wrecked your home? Honestly, can't the maker of heaven and earth handle bad traffic and prevent bad marriages? Of course, we know he can, but I struggle to understand why he doesn't. When tragedy strikes, we ask, how could God allow this to happen? We wonder if God is really in control. In my lesson today, I want you to know that God is not lost. He is alive and working in our world today. He is not sleeping or too busy. He is in complete control. But first, we need to understand a few things about God. In Hebrew, God is translated as Jehovah or Lord. In Exodus chapter 3, he says... God says his name is I Am. This gives a deeper meaning and description of God. He is saying that I have always been, I am now, and I will always be. God is the creator of all things. He spoke the universe into existence. 
He made man in his image. Genesis 1, God is with us today, now, in the presence, just as he was with Moses in Egypt. He will carry us through the struggles of our lives right now. God will always be. God is eternal. He created us with an eternal soul and promise, and the promise of eternal life with him. It is important to recognize that God dwells in a different realm. My thoughts are not like your thoughts. Your ways are not like my ways. Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We are thinking, preserve the body. When he is thinking, save the soul. We avoid pain and seek peace. God uses pain to bring peace. We love what rusts. We love what endures. Our thoughts are not like God's thoughts. Our ways are not like his ways. He is the great I am. Think about it a minute. Mankind suffers because God created man with free will and he leaves us to the consequences of our own decisions. If we choose bad behavior, we will suffer because of it. For instance, years of smoking can cause lung cancer and driving while intoxicated can be deadly. Also, the devil walks the earth as a roaring lion. God will destroy the devil one day, but today he is very much alive and well. Because of this, students shoot other students, mothers and fathers abuse their children, and divorce our homes. God created the rules of nature. He set the world on an axis that that revolution creates the gravity that holds us to it. So if we jump off a two-story building, we are going to get hurt. When cold air hits hot air, tornadoes happen. Hurricanes are necessary for the watering of the earth. So if man builds a house on the shore, it may get washed away. One more thought, pain and suffering have a purpose. Your problems, struggles, and heartaches can all lead to one end, the glory of God. Psalms 50.15 says, Trust me in your times of trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me the glory. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 2.17, Our light affliction is just for a moment. It is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Think of an old pan scale, the one Lady Liberty holds. The, the weight of an item would be determining by, determined by placing weights on one end of, uh, and uh, item on the other end. God does the same with our struggles. On one side, he stacks our burdens, illnesses, struggles, temptations, and even my friend's cancer. Does God remove the burdens? No, he doesn't take them away. He offsets them. He places an eternal weight of glory on the other side. Endless joy, unmeasurable peace, and an eternal life where there will be no pain or tears ever again. Watch what happens when he sets eternity on your scale. Everything changes. Heavy burdens become light when weighed against eternal glory. 2020 had its challenges, and you can be assured 2021 and every other year will have their challenges as well. But we can be comforted as God points to us his son, broken and bloody, nailed to an old wooden cross. God says, I am that I am. I am in control. I have a plan. See my glory. Maybe we, everyone in this room, can make that tomorrow's headline. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. This beloved hymn was written by a man named John Newton, who from an early age lost his mother, who was the one that taught him the Bible. A few years after she died, he was taken out to sea by his father. He eventually was forced into the Navy. 
After some time, he escaped the Navy, but was caught, traded into slavery, and experienced many immoral things in his life. He once said, I sinned with a high hand, and I made it my study to tempt and seduce others. He did many sinful things in his life and even became the captain of a slave trade ship himself. Somehow he ended up in prison. But with the help of a friend of his father's, he was released from prison and boarded a ship home called the Greyhound. While on the ship, they encountered a terrible storm and were lost at sea for 27 days. This experience drove Newton back to the faith taught by his mother. During the storm, he prayed to God to save him. Miraculously, the boat made it and so did he. It was then that he started his journey to being converted. He eventually became a preacher, wrote 280 songs, and the fire that was lit would never be extinguished. He once was lost, but then he was found. At age 82, near death and blind, he spoke these words. My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. He remembered no matter how lost we are, God is always near if we allow him to be. In the New Testament book of Luke chapter 15, we look at three parables teaching us about the lost. As we read and study this chapter, we learn that it is really all about God and his love for us. Jesus tells us the story of a man going out to look for one lost sheep out of his whole flock and rejoicing when he found it, about a woman who lost a single coin and joyfully and rejoicing when she found it. Then lastly, we read about a father whose son became lost and how he rejoiced when his son found his way back home. In all three of these parables, someone loses something precious to them. When they find what was lost, they celebrate. The lesson in all of these parables is how God treats the lost when they are found. God rejoices when people who are not following him repent and start to follow his way. When we choose to give our lives to God and to love and obey him, we are found. And this gives God great joy. In verse 7 of chapter 15, we read that there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner that repents and returns than over 99 who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then in verse 10 we read, Likewise, I say to you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. One person repenting brings joy into heaven. See what, the, what a difference one person can make? Now, let us talk about what it means to be spiritually lost in this world. Not being able to have the assurance that if Jesus decided to come back right now, that you would have a home in heaven. Most of us do not like to think about this subject, because as we all know, it is an unpleasant subject. However, refusing to talk about it will not change the fact that all of our souls have the potential to be lost for all of eternity. Sure, we all like to think that only wicked and evil people are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But the truth is, you do not have to be either of those to be lost. Good people can get lost. Good people can lose their way in life. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. However, there is a saying that my mother always reminds me of. It's not what we do that defines us. It's how we arise from our fall. When we fall in life, we can have the assurance that Jesus will save us. It says so in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. We're, when we are lost, he will do everything in his power to help us find our way. We just have to be willing to accept responsibility for what we have done and let him show us that he is the way to salvation. We should never let the sacrifice of his death be in vain. Have you ever felt lost like you could just not find your way in life? The trials we face give us the tools to overcome the obstacles of life. God never promised us an easy life, but he did say in 1 John 5, 5, Who is it that overcomes? Only the one that believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Therefore, if we believe and trust in him, he will give us a way to overcome, a way to truly find ourselves. Now, here are a few important lessons that we can learn from the parables of Luke chapter 15. Number one, we are supposed to search for lost sinners and help them return to God. Yes, it is our responsibility. Number two, nobody is ever so far away or so far lost that they cannot be found. And we should teach the world this. And number three, 
God rejoices when lost sinners are found, and we should follow this example. All of us at one time have broken God's law and decided to do what we wanted rather than to obey Him. We have all been like the lost sheep, the lost coin, or the son who lost his way. Some of us have been found by God through obedience and faithfulness. Some of us are still lost sinners. Not one of us is better than the other. We all fall short of His glory. We all need to do what we can to follow His way. Help others find His way and rejoice with those who choose His way. I'm willing to make the choice to no longer be lost. Are you? As Lewis comes up here, uh, we're, we're ending the, the, we're getting close to the end. If there's anybody who has not had an opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, I'm going to assume that you can go back to the little chapel and, and uh, you can, you can um, partake of that. So if you want to dismiss and go back to the little chapel, you can now as Lewis gives us this last speech here. Do you know what Freno Lot is? Unless you are a naval pilot landing in a multi-million dollar jet on an aircraft carrier in the darkness of night, you probably never heard of Freenol Light. Naval pilots must be able to safely land their planes in total darkness on the deck of an aircraft carrier in the middle of the ocean. The Freenol Light is a beam of light sent up from the carrier to guide the plane. As the pilot approaches the carrier, another series of lights will appear. These are strong strobe lights. They start off the stern of the carrier and go through the center of the landing area. The angle of the landing looks right only if the pilot has lined up the plane with the strobe called the ball. Finally, there is a radio contact with the landing signal officer who guides the pilot through the landing. The landing officer has only one mission. That mission is to keep the pilot focused on the Freenol light and the strobe lights, or the ball. <clears throat> First, what do Freenol lights and the strobe lights have to do with being lost? God has a Freenol light. It is his son, Jesus. In the first chapter of the Gospel, according to John, we are introduced to Jesus. He is the Word and the Creator of the Word. In verse 4 we read, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is God's light that appears brightly in the darkness to lead us home safely. The Apostle John continues to develop Jesus as the light. John writes, And this is in condemnation that the light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. In chapter 3, verse 19, John later writes, as he quotes Jesus, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. John 8, 12. Isaiah, the prophet in the Old Testament said Jesus would be the light to all men. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light, and to them which sat in the rain and shadow of death, light has sprung up. Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. This is quoted and applied to Jesus in Matthew 4, 16. God has given us a bright, beaming light. It is Jesus. Mankind does not have to walk in darkness of sin. We have the light to guide us to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. John 14, 6. Second, a pilot not only has the free all light, but he also has a series of strobe lights called the ball. To direct the safety of the ship. What is our ball? Our series of lights. In the Old Testament, the psalmist wrote, The word is a lamb unto my feet, and a light unto my fat, unto my path. Psalms 119.105. Again in Psalms 119.130 we read, The entrance of thy words gives us light, gives understanding unto the simple. 
The second series of lights works together with a freno light to direct or guide the pilot to a safe landing. Jesus is God's initial light to humanity, but God also uses another set of lights. The Bible is God's light to reveal himself and his son to us. We read that the Bible and see God's love. We understand God's mercy, grace, and forgiveness because of light of God's word. The light of the Bible shows us God's sacrifice and Savior, Jesus. God created a shining light to rule the day called the sun. God created bright lights to glow in the night called stars. Just as God has given us two lights to govern day and night, he has given us two great lights to guide us through life and through heaven, Jesus and the word of God. Third, pilots have landing officers to direct them safely onto the carrier's deck. Christians of God's landing officers. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Matthew 5.14 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Verse 16 says, Christians are not a new light. They are of the reflecting lights. They reflect Jesus and the word of God to the lost world in darkness. Multi-million dollar jets are valuable. Trained pilots are even more valuable. But external souls of the lost are the most valuable of all. God is a free and all light. Jesus shining brightly in the world. God has series of lights for the ball in the word of God. God has, has landing officers, Christians, assisting men to see and follow the main lights. Each one of these is very important to the landing of the jet. All the lots, Jesus, the Bible, and the Christians, are important to saving the lost. I'm going to say a prayer, but if you don't mind, remain seated just for a second. Bow your heads, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight for allowing us this opportunity to serve you, to study your word, to sing songs of praise, and to, and to glorify you through, through the means we did tonight. Father, we just ask you to be with these young men, continue to give them the strength and courage, energy, and everything that they need to continue to grow as servants of yours. And, of course, we want to thank you for the leadership of this congregation and for the vision they have to, to continue to put emphasis on building these young leaders and and of course, as a congregation, we want to pray that you'll help us as we, we try to support that. So, Father, we just uh, that's our prayer tonight. We thank you so much for, for just blessing us and taking care of us. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, boys, I want to teach you a lesson tonight. When you do these kind of things, of course, we give God the glory, and we don't want to take any of it. And you all did that tonight. I'm very proud of you. However, as a congregation, I do think the Lord would want to let them know uh, would want us to let them know how proud we are of them. So if you don't mind, would y'all stand up, please, the guys who did this? And uh, as a congregation, would y'all give them a round of applause, please? <laughs> Look, it takes a lot of courage to do what y'all do, and, um, and we are just so thankful for, for that. Okay, everybody, we, we're only about four minutes late, so y'all can't get on me too hard tonight. Uh, you are dismissed. Thank you very much. Remember, last leaders meeting up front right after this.